Hello and welcome to Foxed, the new practical podcast series from Fox & Partners. In these podcasts, we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dean Fuller, and I'm one of the partners at Fox & Partners. My colleague, Eleanor Diamond, is an associate in our team. A group of people we advise frequently are partners moving on to pastures new, and during this podcast, through the eyes of our fictional client, we will be highlighting the key considerations of a partner who is moving on. But this episode isn't just relevant to partners themselves, but firms and their management teams too. Of course, there are many important things to think about for a partner when moving to a new LLP. Partners in professional services might decide to jump ship for a number of reasons. And, believe it or not, we've noticed that these lateral moves show no sign of slowing down, despite the current climate. Let's look at it this way. Say Julie is a partner in a law firm, and she's reached the end of the road at the firm where she's been a member for 10 years. On legal advice, she signed a retirement deed from her old firm and has received an appealing offer from a new outfit. Fortunately for her, Julie is free from restriction to take up the shiny new position, which sounds like a pretty good deal, but it's not as simple as that. Julie's going to need to consider offering a confidentiality undertaking to the new firm and explaining that if, for any reason, she does not proceed, all papers will be returned, no copies retained, and the information kept secret. Yes, if things don't work out, I suppose neither side will want murmurings in the market or the risk of sensitive business information, such as client lists, being leaked. We'd also suggest she ask for copies of some core documentation from the new firm. Things like an up-to-date copy of the LLP members' agreement and any members' handbook-type documents, the management accounts for past and current financial years and budgets for the coming year. And that financial information is key. Asking for management accounts would be to check the financial health of the partnership. It gives Julie the chance to clarify anything that looks like a shortfall in income or overrunning costs. She can then work out her potential earnings and compare budgets to the results of previous years to make sure they're achievable and she doesn't get caught out. It's also important to look at the fixed and working capital figures. At most, only half of the capital should come from outside borrowing. It may seem arduous, but Julie could even work out how the capital contribution of each member is calculated and how it is financed. Arduous, but doing the work on the financials early on means no nasty surprises for Julie further down the line. And there's the question of property. More firms run into trouble over premises than any other single issue. If the premises are owned by some members but leased to the new firm, we've seen it cause friction over the fairness of the lease. And there may be continuing liabilities from premises previously occupied by the LLP. Yes, so Julie needs to do her due diligence. When reviewing the members' agreement, she'll need to mull over the provisions which apply to a leaving member. It might seem a bit pessimistic. She hasn't even signed on the dotted line yet. But there could be onerous clauses lurking. For example, there might be restrictions on the number of members that are entitled to serve notice to retire from one department within a certain period of time. Yes, that is what's known as a waiting room clause. At the sharper end, the partnership may decide they wish to terminate Judy's membership and the agreement will set out that process and the grounds on which it can be done. These provisions vary in how severe they are, along with notice periods and restricted covenants, which would bind Julie after she eventually leaves or retires. Restrictive covenants are often a key aspect of a partner's exit negotiations. A clause we often see is one that would restrict a partner from soliciting clients or suppliers and from poaching key members of staff. 
Those are pretty standard provisions, but recently we've been seeing clauses which are designed to prevent teams jumping ship together, which is where it gets really interesting, because the jury is still out on whether a clause that restrictive is actually enforceable. Well, they have not been tested in the courts yet, but I think if they are to be enforceable, they would need to be very carefully and specifically drafted to prevent the cooperation and collusion aspect of a team move, rather than potentially capturing an incidental situation where partners from one firm end up working alongside one another in a new environment. As we all know, the professional services world can be quite a small one. Enforceability is the question when looking at restrictive covenants in any case, as it may be that what has been drafted into the agreement goes further than what is reasonably necessary to protect the firm's legitimate business interests. That's the classic test of whether covenants bite or not. Factors such as the duration of restriction and the geographical extent will be relevant to this analysis. What else would be important in the agreement then, Dean? Julie should look into the provision covering situations of prolonged absence due to illness or compassionate leave. She should investigate how life assurance, private health care, permanent health insurance and critical illness schemes dovetail with the provisions of the LLP members agreement. On the matter of benefits, if she's lucky, there may also be arrangements for pension provision, but many firms expect partners to look after themselves in this regard. Julie would also want to inquire about what happens when things don't go to plan. Professional indemnity claims are now a much bigger worry than once was the case. Judy should consider the firm's claims record and specifically unresolved outstanding claims which might be lurking around. Approaches to the appropriate amount of cover for a firm and the amount of any uninsured excess differ widely and Judy's attitude to risk may not chime perfectly with the firm's. What we have covered so far in this podcast has been focused on the financial positions and the nuts and bolts of the members' agreement the types of issues which occupy lawyers and accountants. But there are some more practical concerns about whether Julie will be a good fit for the new firm and vice versa, surely. Yes, Julie should contemplate the future direction and market position of the new firm. Julie should get to know the firm's strategy and see if it chimes with her vision for a modern law firm. One simple step to take the temperature of the firm is to ask about staff turnover and member turnover in, say, the last three years. How many equity or non-equity members have left, and why. I suppose that would reveal quite a lot about whether the firm is an appealing place to work with Julie, and also how much money is eaten up by settling with disgruntled employees or partners. If possible, she could even speak to former members of the LP who've left recently if she can get a hold of them. On that practical note, we wish Julie all the best for the next steps of her career, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to this Fox & Partners podcast. We look forward to sharing the next episode of the podcast with you, which sees Caroline Field and Ramsey Oscan discussing whistleblowing with a focus on partnership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe or find out more details on our website at foxlawyers.com.